That was it. That was my whole sermon. <laughs> Let's pray. And, amen. We're going to go uh, fellowship. That's a, that's a perfect intro. Now I get to follow that. He is alive. Death has been defeated. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, i got to share with you. We uh, started out in January preaching through the Gospel of John. And uh, real, real quick, John was Jesus' best friend here on earth. And he, he wrote this great book uh, about his best friend Jesus and about the things that he did. And uh, we've, we've been preaching through it chapter by chapter. And um, I have to apologize almost every Sunday because there's, there's so much in, in the book of John. We could have, I could be preaching it for like the next two years because there's just a lot of good stuff. But, so in some instances, we're kind of like skipping a rock. Right now, uh, I need you to know that we're in John chapter 20, and I'm excited to share this with you, even though we're soon coming to an end in this study. But I want to start out by letting you know John's purpose for writing what he saw concerning Jesus, his, his life, but also his resurrection, uh, as well as all the other miracles, everything that he writes about, comes from John chapter 20, verse 31. And, and John writes, But these are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. It's, it's that simple. John wrote this for that reason. That, that you may see it, you may hear it, you may read it, it may be preached to you. But that you may believe it. And that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, here's the thing. On that note, today we are here because he is alive. And, and I believe that the evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ should lead us to believe in him as Savior and Lord. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I actually have, I have five evidences that I found in John's gospel that talk about Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. And, and I bring that up today because I think it's a great day to really get into it and to talk about it. All of these evidences, all the things that I'm going to share with you are good news. They, they are good news for us. People say, well, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that just like the songs that we sang, the things we talked about already this morning, Jesus came to earth. He was born in a manger. He grew up. He was God's son sent from heaven. That's good news. He, he, he was a, his birth was prophesied and fulfilled. Good news. He, he grew up. He started a ministry. He, he fasted. He did all these things. Good news. Good news. He healed people. That's good news. He, he changed his world that he was walking in, his earthly world. He changed it by touching people. That's good news. And then his people that he came for betrayed him. You may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like very good news, but it is. It's good news. They did that. He came in one day at Hosanna, king. Worship the king. Hosanna, Hosanna. By the way, Hosanna is a, is a word that just was kind of like us saying hooray. Just so you, so you know that. I found that out. That's kind of cool. But he, they worshiped him one day. And, and within a few days later, they've turned their backs on him. And they're like, they went from Hosanna to, to crucify him. And even that is good news for us. Ultimately, he died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And as gruesome as that was, and as sad as that is, that is still good news for us. Because three days later, on the first day of the week, he rose from the grave. And that, my friends, is the good news of the good news. That's it. And that's, that's why we're here. 
That's why we do what we do. It's why we celebrate the way we have today. And I, I want to get into this story. And we're only going to read through John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. We're going to put them up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But if you do, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're at John chapter 20. And, and I'm going to read this. And then I'm going to break down these five things. Um, by the way, they, they told me right before I, I started to preach. They said, hey, the hams still need to go for about an hour and a half. I said, don't worry, I got it covered. Um, <laughs> So we're good. We have plenty of time. Um, some of you are looking at me like, I'm hungry. Stop it. All right, here we go. The resurrection. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Verse 8 says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. We're, we're going to come back to some of these things. So go back to verse 1, John chapter 20, verse 1. That's the first evidence about Jesus' resurrection that I want to talk about. It says, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. John tells us that Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb and saw the stone taken away from the tomb. Now listen, there, there are a lot of historical things. There are a lot of stuff about uh, this time frame. We're not talking about like a small rock. This was a large round stone. It was, it was, there was a, a groove dug in the ground and, and the stone rolled into this groove to secure it from grave robbers. And so it wasn't like the stone just rolled in. It was like it rolled and then kind of fell into place. It was kind of like a, the locking, a natural locking mechanism. So it rolls in, boom, and then it drops. It would have taken several strong men, much like myself, to, 
uh, yeah, two of me, at least, probably four or five of others, but it would take several strong men to, to move this stone out of the way. And, and here's the thing. The Jewish leaders feared the disciples coming and doing that and stealing Jesus' body to claim that he had risen. And, and so they, they were afraid of that. And we know from Matthew's account that, that they went to Pilate, the Jewish leaders went to Pilate, and they got a Roman guard to secure the tomb. And then they set a seal on the stone, and, and, and they were there guarding the tomb, and an angel came and rolled away the stone. Let me be very clear for a second. The angel didn't roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. We need to understand that. The angel rolled the stone away so that the witnesses to his resurrection, Mary, John, Peter, so that they could get in and verify that the tomb was empty. All right, Jesus didn't need the angel to roll the stone away. And then the guards report what happened to them. They go to the Jewish leaders and they tell them, hey, this angel rolled the stone away. There's an earthquake and all this stuff happened. And they did what, what any good conspiracy theory leader would do. They gave them a large sum of money and said, tell anyone who asked that the disciples came at night and stole Jesus' body while you slept. Well, hold on a second. There's some problems with that too. The Roman guards that were there would have faced the death penalty for falling asleep while on guard. Even if they dozed off, the sound of a group of men moving a heavy stone would have woke him up. Because you all know men, we can't pick up most things without going, it makes us stronger. You got you to you grunt, you put your back into it, you got to So they would have woke him up. Besides that, after the crucifixion, the disciples were too depressed. They were too fearful to pull off a grave robbery. They were scattered. Even if they had stolen Jesus' body or bribed the guards to, take, to let them take the body away, they wouldn't have later endured, uh, they wouldn't have later on in life endured the persecution and eventual death to proclaim what they knew to be a scam. People will die for the truth. People will not die for a lie. In addition to the stone being rolled away, the tomb was empty. Listen, Mary went, and she wasn't expecting the resurrection. She, she went because she was going to put more spices on the body. I, I, I think, because my mind is weird, as she first approached and saw that the tomb was rolled away, maybe she thought, well, those nice soldiers moved that for me so I could go in and put some more spices on Jesus' body. But the Bible says when she saw the stone was rolled away, and, and then she, the body was gone, and she assumed that someone had taken it. So she runs to the disciples, verse 2. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And this caused Peter and John to, to race to the tomb to see for themselves. John outran Peter, but then he hesitated to go inside. He stooped and he looked in. He sees the grave clothes. But then Peter, the Bible says, Peter brushed past John and went in. And then John went into the tomb, and they both confirmed that Jesus' body was not there. Now here's the thought. If the Jewish leaders knew where Jesus' body was, wouldn't they have produced it the moment that the apostles began proclaiming the resurrection? Hey, he rose from the dead. (laughs) No, he didn't. He's back here. (laughs) Joke's on you. He didn't do anything. The stone rolled away, and the empty tomb both bear witness to Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. The second evidence 
for Jesus' resurrection was his grave clothes. John goes into more detail concerning the grave clothes than the other Gospels do. In telling the story, John uses three different Greek words for the word see. All right? And so the first one, it says, When John arrived first at the tomb, he stooped, looked in, and saw okay, the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. And so that word saw that he uses is a common Greek word that suggests nothing more than just sight. Just the nice white shirt you're wearing. It's a nice blue jacket. He just just saw it. But then when Peter got there, Peter entered the tomb and John writes that he saw the linen wrappings. Now here, this Greek word has this nuance of looking carefully or or examining something. It's it's where we get the word theater from. And, And it's because in a theater, you watch carefully and the play so that you don't miss any part of it. And so it's, it's that same thing. Peter went in and, and he saw, he looked closely. And here, finally, John goes in and the scripture says that John saw and believed. And he uses this word. It doesn't just mean to, to glance or to, to look, to, to dig deep. It means that he saw with understanding. And, and so the word that John uses here, when he says that John saw and believed was this, this word of, of seeing and understanding. And what did Peter and John see? Well, a couple of things. First off, Jewish burials involved wrapping the corpse with linen, linen strips and then tucking spices into the folds of linen to offset the stench of, of decomposing. The head was always wrapped separately. Peter and John saw the linen wrappings with the face cloth rolled up by itself in an orderly manner. But Jesus' body was gone. You see, grave robbers would not have taken the time to not only remove grave clothes at the scene, but they wouldn't have taken the time to, to neatly fold something up and, and leave it laying there. And so they, they would have grabbed the body with the grave clothes. They would have just left. They would have grabbed the body and taken it. If they, if they removed them, they would have left them scattered. As a matter of fact, D.A. Carson in his commentary, The Gospel According to John, says this. He says, this description is powerful and vivid, not the sort of thing that would have been dreamed up. And the fact that two men saw it in verse 8 makes their evidence admissible in a Jewish court. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he was raised in his old body, which was still subject to disease and death. So Lazarus couldn't pass through the grave clothes, but he had to be unbound by the bystanders. As you remember that story. But Jesus was raised with a resurrection body that is no longer subject to death. That new body is physical, yet could pass through the grave clothes, leaving them lying there intact. Uh, That new body would later pass through closed doors without opening them, as well as appear and disappear suddenly at will. So Jesus' new body had that ability. The third evidence for Jesus' resurrection, and this this is my favorite part, and I tell... Through this whole book of John, I keep telling everybody I have a favorite part, and it keeps changing every week. But this is my favorite part about the evidence part, is it's, it's what I like to call his post-resurrection appearances. See, Jesus didn't rise from the grave and, and go straight to heaven. He, he checked in with some of his people. He made sure they knew that the prophecy was not only being, being answered, but it was being lived out, and that they were going to be used to continue that. And so this is my favorite thing. And, and, and I'm looking at, ahead to the rest of John's story. He talks about four different post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. The first one is to Mary Magdalene. That, and if you read through John chapter 20 this week, verses 11 through 18, Jesus and Mary have conversation. 
Uh, then he shows up to the disciples, but not all of them because Thomas wasn't there. But Jesus shows up. It's in, in verses 19 through 23. He shows up. He speaks with them. And then later, the disciples are like, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He's like, quit messing with me. And they're like, no, really, we saw him. And, and so what does Jesus do? Because he's amazing. He comes back later to the disciples and Thomas. And he says, hey, Thomas, here I am. That's verses 24 through 31. And then in chapter 21, Jesus shows up again to, the seven, of the, to seven of the disciples by the Sea of Galilee and cooks them breakfast, which is, I'm going to talk about that next week. I'm excited. That's one of my other favorites. It's coming next week, so you have to come back to hear that. Um, but, and then even Paul mentions other appearances. Um, in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 through 8, he talks about when Jesus' resurrected body, Jesus went and, and saw over 500 people at one time. And many of those people were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, which I think that just blows my mind. It was like, whoa, that's so cool. So here's the thing. When the disciples of Jesus proclaimed the resurrection, they did it as eyewitnesses. And they did so while people around them were still alive who had contact with the events they spoke of. It, it passes the bounds of credibility that early Christians could have manufactured such a story and then preached it among people who could have easily disputed it by simply producing the body of Jesus. But it never happened. Now, a skeptic might point out that, well, the reports of Jesus' resurrection are all given by believers. Why didn't Jesus appear to any unbelievers so that they would come to faith? Peter alludes to this when he preached to the Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, verses 40 through 41. He says this, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him, after he rose from the dead, God had a plan. You see, the risen Savior, he did later reveal himself to one blatant unbeliever. Do you guys know who that was? It was a young man named Saul. He was out persecuting Christians, and the risen Savior revealed himself to Saul. And that was, man, that's, that's Paul's dramatic conversion. It's, it's, he saw the risen Lord. But he was shown unusual grace, and it changed his life forever. You see, normally God does not reveal himself to proud skeptics, especially when they've already rejected the light that he has given them. The Jewish leaders had rejected not only Christ, but even the witnesses to Christ. John talked about it in chapter 5, verses 31 through 40. So he didn't show himself to the religious leaders after his resurrection, except through the witness of the apostles. And they rejected that witness also. They refused to come to Jesus to receive life. So they were given over to judgment. But for those willing to submit to Jesus as Lord, his post-resurrection appearances are indeed a strong evidence of his resurrection. The fourth evidence for Jesus' resurrection is the changed lives of the witnesses. You see, John shows us that none of the witnesses were expecting a resurrection. They heard the prophecies but they weren't, they weren't quite expecting it. Mary Magdalene thought someone had taken Jesus' body. Her first thought was not to run back and go, hey, the tomb's empty. Jesus, he, he, he rose from the dead. Yeah! She was scared. She wasn't expecting it. Neither did John or Peter. They, at first, they didn't understand the scripture that, that Jesus must raise again from the dead. John 20, verse 9. All the disciples at this time were fearful and confused. Thomas was depressed and doubting, but all were transformed into the bold witnesses that we read about in the book of Acts, 
because they became convinced that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. They were so convinced of this resurrection and that it was true that many of them went on to die as martyrs. Again, men will die for the truth. Have you ever known someone who would die for a lie? John calls attention here to John chapter 20, verse 8, to his own change of belief when he saw the empty tomb and the grave close. And again, using that word saw, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. John and the other apostles obviously already believed in Jesus. It's evidenced by their following him. So what was it that he believed here? He saw and he believed in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. John 20 verse 9 tells us, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The apostles' understanding of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' resurrection came later. But in that moment, John saw and he believed. Some of those prophecies, one of them was from Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, speaks of the Messiah alive and seeing his offspring after he has been led like a sheep to the slaughter. You see, there's, there's this subtle change in the lives of the witnesses. And it's alluded to in our text in John chapter 20, verse 1. John mentions that Mary came to the tomb on the first day of the week, on Sunday. You see, church history shows us that the early church gathered for worship on Sunday, not on the Jewish Sabbath. Why would they change an institution that had been in place for centuries? They did it to proclaim and celebrate the Lord's resurrection from the dead. The stone rolled away. The empty tomb, the grave clothes, the post-resurrection appearances, and the changed lives of the witnesses are all evidence that Jesus is alive and that he did, in fact, rise from the grave. But wait, there's more. The fifth evidence for Jesus' resurrection, it's probably my real favorite, to be honest with you. It's his unique person. His claims, his amazing claims that he makes. Listen, studying the gospel accounts of who Jesus was, what he taught, what the claims, the things he claimed about himself, the miracles he performed, the prophecies that he fulfilled. On more than one occasion, he predicted his death and his resurrection. His encounter with doubting Thomas shows that his purpose was to bring Thomas into a full place of faith. See, when Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God, Jesus doesn't rebuke him or correct him for, for overstating the obvious because he's standing right in front of him. Jesus says this, he commends Thomas and he says, he says blessed are you because you've seen these things. You know what? Just a good teacher and especially a devout Jewish rabbi would never accept worship from someone like Thomas. But Jesus did. Everything in the gospel accounts about Jesus, about his person, about his teaching, argues against him being just, well, crazy or a charlatan. The only sensible option is that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. The eternal son of God in human flesh, the Messiah of Israel. And he offered himself for our sins and God raised him, bodily, raised, raised him bodily from the dead. And he wants those of us who have not seen him to believe in him. He says that in John 29, 20, 29. Blessed are those who, who, see, who do not see and believe. If you, you may wonder, well, if the evidence is so convincing, why don't more people believe it? I have an answer for that too. People refuse to believe in Jesus' resurrection 
Because once they do, it has personal implications that they may not want to face. If Jesus is risen, then he is the rightful Lord of all. And if Jesus is risen, and if Jesus is the rightful Lord of all, then that means I have to turn away from my sin and live under his lordship. And the reason that people refuse to believe in his resurrection is because of personal implications. They don't want to face him. They don't want to have to live under his lordship. And because people don't want to do that, they refuse to believe in Jesus in spite of the evidence. The evidence is clear. I have a where the rubber meets the road kind of application for you this morning. And uh, I've, I've shared, I think, some, some interesting things with you all. And here's the thing. Our faith in the risen Savior is, is grounded on solid historical evidence. You need to believe it. You need to proclaim it. You see, faith in Christ is not a blind leap in the dark. It's based on the eyewitness testimony of the disciples, which is to say the eyewitness testimony of credible men. I've always been bothered by the line in the hymn, He Lives. You know, He lives, He lives, He lives with me today. He, all right, you know the song? You know it, you've heard it? Okay, I'll sing it. No, okay. But there's a line in that song that says this. It says, you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not down on the song. It's a good song. I like it. But I hear that song, I get to thinking, no. The reason I know he lives is not because he lives within my heart. The reason I know he lives is because he predicted his death, burial, and his resurrection. The reason I know he lives is because the apostles wrote about his life after his resurrection. The things he said to them. The things he did with them. You see, I know he lives because of the apostles, and many others that saw him after he rose from the dead. You know, here's the thing. Even demons believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. But such faith, it does them no good. Saving faith in the risen, risen Savior means that we need to repent from sin. It means that we need to bring every area of our life under his lordship. Folks, we should be encouraged that the Lord does not cast, off, cast us off when our faith is weak or when we doubt like Thomas it's one of the things I love about that, that conversation with Thomas. He stands before him and says, touch my hands, touch my side. I'm here, I'm alive. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't cast him out. He doesn't make fun of him. The same for us. When our faith is weak, when our understanding is shallow, he graciously leads us to deeper faith. He graciously leads us to a, to a stronger understanding as we seek him. Mary didn't uh, expect the resurrection but she loved the Lord and she wanted to give him a proper burial. And then she was surprised to, to find that he, he was gone. Peter and John's faith and understanding, they, they were kind of weak at this point. But the Lord graciously nurtured them along and then later used them in a mighty way. Folks, we serve a gracious and loving Savior who can sympathize with our weaknesses, draw near to him, especially when you're confused or doubting or hurt. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the guarantee of our future bodily resurrection. So in your bodily weakness, hope in him because he is alive. He is alive and he is risen indeed. He was seen by eyewitnesses. He is even seen by doubters. And today his love and forgiveness is seen by us through his word. The question is, what will you do with the evidence that's been shared with you this morning? 
Maybe you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To walk in a newness of life with your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just need a moment to pray and talk with someone about what you've heard this morning. Our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you. But whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to the good news of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior accordingly? Sing this with us.